Are you showing up prepared? Are you making a good, strong first impression? Are you more interested in them than in yourself? You know, are you leading with questions? Have you been, you know, done your preparation for the call? All these series of little things that enable you to start building this connection with this other human being that you hope will lead to them trusting you. And by trusting you, enabling you to ask the type of questions you need to ask to really understand what their challenges are and how you can help them. This is Outside Sales Talk, the best podcast for outside salespeople. I'm your host, Steve Benson, and we're here to chat with the world's top sales experts so that you can get their best sales tactics to level up your game. Welcome back to Outside Sales Talk. Today, we have Andy Paul with us, and he's here to talk about his new book. It's called Sell Without Selling Out. It's uh, super popular. I've, I've got it on my shelf myself. Um, welcome to the show, Andy. Oh, Steve, thanks for having me. And yeah, thanks for buying my book. <laughs> I didn't buy it. You sent it to me. That's oh, good. did I? Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Which I appreciate. No, we, 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 we chatted last time. Uh, I, I forget what we were chatting about. We, 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 we chatted maybe six months ago. And, yeah. Um, it was just coming out, so you still had boxes of the things. Now, now, now it's 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 been super popular. I've actually I've run into it in several places. Um, oh, good. So well, now you can me. you can buy one for all of your team. How about there that? There you go. Maybe, maybe I maybe I will. They they yeah. They uh, you know I mean things like this are so valuable, and this this has a really unique message. So I mean just background on Andy uh, and Kate. He's been here on the show probably two or three times already, but over the last you know, four decades in, in sales, he is, he's That's become one of the, <laughs> four <laughs> decades, Jesus, um, and the, uh, he's one of the leading voices in, uh, in, the, in the industry in terms of thought leadership around sales. His podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, is one of the most popular sales pod- podcasts out there. I, I think I've been on it three times. It's, you know, it's uh, definitely yes. one to listen to. Um He's written two best-selling books, uh, and and uh, this is we're we're talking about his third here. So, sell without selling out. It's called a guide to success on your own terms, and it was released earlier this year, right? Like, yes, yeah, about six months ago, a little over six months ago. Yeah. All right, cool. So, um, let's jump into the book. So, there, there's a there's a quote that that you open your book with. That I wanted to ask you about. It says. Sure. Insist on yourself, never imitate. Right. For salespeople who are just starting and and they're and they're looking to impress people, how can they get the balance right between listening to their superiors and trusting their own intuition and, and being authentic to themselves? Well, it's harder when you first get started, right? Because you're in this brand new environment and you walk into the job with this idea in mind of how salespeople act and whether it's you know popular culture movies tv shows books whatever everybody carries around this image in their mind of what a seller is and yeah part of what your journey is in your first sort of year on the job is to understand that that's not necessarily who you are as a human being and that rather than trying to assume that you're playing a character like a stage actor or an actor in a movie is really what you're trying to do is be yourself and be the authentic you because by doing that, then you're going to come across 
better to the prospects as a, as a human being, not somebody that's out there just to push your product or service on them. And it's this initial connection is so important because this opens the door to building credibility and trust with a buyer. So if your first impression that you make on a buyer is one of sort of pushy, you know, playing a role, you know, hey, great to meet you type thing. Yeah, people see right through that. Yeah, authenticity is so important. And people smell when they're when oh, they're yeah. you know when they're being sold to inauthentically or when you're when people are full of crap like they just they can tell and and you know i think it's it's one reason it's hard to sell things that that aren't great it's hard it's you know it's it's hard to be a part of a company that's not really creating value it's hard to and it's, and it's hard when sales management kind of pushes people to be a certain way that isn't right isn't authentic well and this is unfortunately one of the you know ills of our time in sales is that the embrace of certain sales technologies have encouraged this type of behavior on the part of managers. And this idea that, hey, we can have a cookie cutter approach to developing our salespeople and they just need to be a certain way and, and do a certain amount of activity and everything's gonna work out fine. And yeah, it's not the way the world works is, is you can't clone salespeople to be an exact duplicate of somebody else. I mean, you know, you can listen to top performers calls, do the conversational intelligence system and say, okay, they do certain, certain things well, but unfortunately the way many managers use this very heavy handed way is look, this is how Mike sells, uh, yeah, do what Mike does as opposed to saying, this is what Mike does. What can you take away from that, that you can integrate into your selling and how would you put your spin on that? And, you know, let's experiment and let's see if it works. If it doesn't work, we'll try something different. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. It's, it's, uh, I think often managers and especially armed with technology, um, they, they, they push certain behaviors and characteristics on salespeople that aren't authentic to them. What, what would you recommend? a salesperson who's experiencing that, a manager who's pushing them to act a certain way or be a certain way mm -hmm. or um, sell a certain way or with a, with a, you know, you, 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 you always run into examples. Examples are things like, Hey, this is the script that we sell this with. So you read this right. paragraph. If they, if they ask this, this is the, and this is the paragraph you read. They say they, X, you say Y, right? Yeah. They're trying to, I, th I think this, you run into this a lot with companies that are, run by engineers too or it's like they, they kind of a, a company that i worked for early in my career was definitely like that uh, autonomy it was like they, they kind of saw sales as like a if you do this many lead generation activities then it will yield this many first meetings which will yield this percentage second mm. meetings, which will yield this percentage revenue and it's like that's not exactly how it works <laughs> but, well, well i mean i think everybody over time Everybody has their their ratios, their conversion ratios, right? I mean, I look back on my selling, I, I certainly did. Mm -hmm. But I, so I knew at one level, sort of what I needed to do, but I start from a different perspective, which was my, my goal from the beginning was I want to win more than I lose. Now that's completely foreign to most people in the software world because, hey, win rates for SaaS companies tend to hover around 20%. Right. Uh, uh, so we can get... 
and, and we can get into the, the reasons for the, for the good ones. <laughs> and we can get into and we can get into the reasons for that. But it, it shouldn't be that way. I mean, you you should be able to set a bar and say, individually and as an organization, just FYI, and say, yeah, here's here's where I'm my benchmark. This is what I want, and I'm gonna work to achieve that. And once I find the recipe for making that happen, then yeah, I can scale that. But it's it would, everybody sort of works at it backwards these days. And so if you're an individual seller, and getting back to your question, it's like, hey, you're being feel like you're being forced to sell in a way that's just not aligned with who you are, and and so on. So you have two choices. You can say, as I often did in my career early on, was say, you know, I <laughs> I don't think that's going to work for me, and I think I have a a different way to do it that I think will be better for me and will enable me to hit my my numbers. And if I couldn't get the space to do it, then you go find a situation that will enable you to do that. I mean, there's plenty of great sales managers out there that understand that their job is to help you become the best version of yourself. And if they can do that, you're going to perform at higher levels, be more fulfilled and stay, perhaps stay longer than most sellers will. Yeah. But if you just, yeah, hey, this is a cookie cutter approach, just execute our process. The process is paramount. Uh, yeah, people are gonna they're gonna leave because they're not bringing any of themselves to the to the work, and this is what buyers want. I mean, buyers make their decisions in large measure based on their experience, buying experience with the individual seller, right? I mean, in so many spaces, especially again, not to get fixated on software, but it's not just software. In a lot of markets, there's a lot of competition, and in the mind's eye of the buyer all the products and services are alike. So when their products are perceived to be alike, what are the difference makers that enable the, you know, one competitor to, to nudge out another win the business? It's the buyer's experience during their buying process with the seller. Yeah. So your sales process or your buyer's process is so important to, to customize. And I, and I think when you're, when you're, that that's maybe the, the the logic that a sales rep who's being pressured to you know really really uh conform to a process maybe that's the logic they could use is hey i know like this is the talk path that we use in this situation but i was customizing what i was doing to this guy because of xyz because really i mean no exactly no for no formulaic sales process is going to be perfect for this type of customer who is like this who has this personality type in this industry at this size you know it's well i think that's and you probably have encountered this in the past is is yeah it's we prepare sellers with ideas like okay you're called this is our icp got this well defined which is absolutely essential we're going to talk to these personas and they're going to be concerned about these things we're going to ask, these questions, this is the type of answers we'll typically get. And it's like, well, sure. But to your point you just made is no two of those people are going to be alike. There's always going to be something unique about what they want. And if you don't consider that it's going to be unique and different, then you're just trying to shove them into a box. I think you fit in this box, right? And buyers resist that. Because in the mind, again, the mind of the buyer, they're not the same as every other company. They're different. We've got to do things differently. We have different people, different concerns. And if you're just treating me like, just like you treat everybody else, that's going to be hugely problematic for me. And 
and I guess a lot of this gets back to your, the, you know, how you titled the book and why you why you started the book off the way you did. You know, the the concept of selling out that you're that you're mm-hmm. trying to get people to really avoid. You know, how if if you feel like you're being pressured as a sales rep to sell out, how can you? How can you not? How can you rid yourself of this, of this pressure, and, and, and it, without, with, without, uh, without losing performance and still being a, a winning sales rep who, who, who uh, well, is successful? Right, but there's two dimensions to it. One is, are you in the right environment? Right, you're not in the right environment. Ultimately, maybe the answer is you have to change environments. Yeah. Yeah. There's, <coughs> excuse me. Yes. A lot of people out there write about, hey, how do you earn seven figures? Well, sure, some of it's what you know and who you are, but those have to be, those two things have to be applied in a situation that enables you to be able to earn the, t- to win the type of deals that enable you to earn that type of money. So, yeah, it's a great idea and a great aspiration to earn seven figures, but there's only going to be a few, relatively few places where you can go do that. So if that's your goal, you need to make sure you find yourself in the right situation. I think in for the, most sellers, it is in the I rap songs. To, they're uh, they're talking about eight figures now. I've got bad news for us here. Oh, eight figures! We, yeah. we gotta we gotta push eight figures, or we're doing it wrong. Yeah, own. yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, I'd be happy if more than just a few handfuls of sellers made seven figures. So, yeah, if so, you have to find the right situation, and, and if you're not. You know, that, if that's not your thing, is you know, this income thing, but you want to be fulfilled, you want to do fun work, you want to work with smart people, you want to have uh, control over what you're doing, then, yeah, it's, it's, you have to make sure you find that situation when you go out and interview, because they exist, right? It's, but there are lazy sales leaders out there who think the process is driving success. No, it's individuals that drive success. As a leader, your job is to develop those individuals, give them the freedom and the flexibility. I mean, I, as I write about this in the book, is yeah, I worked for one senior VP at one company that yeah, you know, it got frustrated with me because I just I never said yes automatically to almost anything that a sales a sales leader or sales boss would say to me because I knew that hey, I could go take your advice if I just do it follow blinding. You know, blind follow, unquestionably follow your advice. If it screws up and I don't win the deal and I do that multiple times and I don't hit my numbers, who gets fired? Me or the person that gave me the advice? It was me. Mm-hmm. So I determined very early in my career is, look, if I'm going to get fired. It's going to be on my own terms. And yeah, so that I can't always say that was easy as an employee, but I delivered, I performed, uh, you know, I made club, but, and I wasn't like I was a, a, a loner and sort of, you know, far outside the boundaries of what the company was trying to do. Not at all. Uh, it was just, I had my own take on it, my own spin on it. Uh, I knew I was unique in the way that I looked at the world, the way I, you know, my curiosity, the way I asked questions, and so, you know, as you grow throughout your career, you're going to have multiple people that influence you. And I was influenced heavily by two particular bosses early in my career. Uh, their bosses, not coincidentally, gave me a lot of room to operate, but also had some incredibly great advice for me and guidance. 
And so, yeah, as a seller, you just have to be open to lots of different sources of, of input and information. Take the things you think align with who you are, your values, your character, and experiment. Constantly experiment. I mean, there's another quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson in the book. Besides the first one you, you gave, which was, you know, all life is an experiment. The more experiments you make, the better. And huge believer in that. And that's the way I built my career. Just keep trying new things. Yeah, I, I, I had a similar experience to what you described that, uh, that, that produced one of my, one of my philosophies on sales, but it was, we, 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 uh, the, 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 uh, not, to not bury the lead, the, the philosophy is never hire a strategy consulting firm to, uh, to come in and, and, and do your, uh, do, do your sales strategy and sales <laughs> process. We, I was at a, a, uh, a company who will not be named, but it's pretty obvious if you go over my LinkedIn, but, uh, <laughs> they hired McKinsey. I think it was, McKinsey. Right. it was one of the, it was one of the big three consulting firms, like strategy consulting firms though. So I, I forget if it was McKinsey or Bain, but, um, one one of those it, and and you know they do great strategy work right but uh, these guys brought them in to uh, to to build the sales process for you know the go to market process for uh, for the for the way we were going to market with um, with our with our suite of products and uh, and they their recommend like the it was this huge like six month thing I mean I I don't know how many millions of dollars it cost but a lot and. Uh, and, it, and this wasn't a big team at the time, right? We probably right. had 250, 250 sellers or so at the time. And uh, so a decent sized team, but not right. huge. And, uh, and, and the, the stuff they came out with, it was comically, it was busy work. It was not helpful. It was very formulaic. It was like as, co as cookie cutter as you can imagine. And it wasn't done by people that knew Sales, sales. Yeah, they, right. they didn't. They didn't know the craft of sales. They right. didn't know the customer. They didn't know how this product was sold. It was like they, it was like they read four books about it and like shoehorned it all into one, into one Frankenstein. And I just proceeded to ignore it. Like I was like, no, I'm not. And and I was, you know, I was a cocky little bastard at the time because I, I had, the year before I had been like, you know, the top seller at the, in, the, in the organization. So I was able to be a cocky little bastard, but I was like, no, I'm not doing any of this. This is all a waste of time. This is all wrong and all stupid. And this is going to die on its own. And sure enough, by the end of the year, it was just like, like everyone had just started to ignore it. And it basically got tossed in the, in the, uh, the, the, the round, the, the round, uh, the round file, yeah. the round file the, under the desk. And but, <laughs> but as you get, this important thing for sellers to realize is that, you have to learn to trust your gut, right? As you expose yourself to more situations and get more experience is who knows better what's going to work for you than you. Doesn't mean you're closed off to out, you know, closed off to input at all. That's not the point is because what you are is you are just a discerning consumer of, of advice and guidance and, and input because it's your career that's at stake. And yeah, I just would urge you, you know, never just blindly follow advice you get is, you know, hell, I, I post on LinkedIn all the time. I think it's all great. It's not all for you. I mean, some of the things that I write about will work for you. Some won't. That's, that's fine. Uh, you just have to, as I said, become a discerning, discriminating consumer of, 
of sales information and sales advice from all sources. And you got to try things, right? Something strikes your fancy, try it. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work, great. Or, you know, give it two or three tries and see what you could change and modify with it. But that's, at the end of the day, one of the things we've lost in sales in the last 10, 15 years through this insistence that everybody get up to speed within three months in new jobs is this idea that sales is fundamentally an apprenticeship. And it is. So you use the word craft. It is a craft. And when I when I joined the, my first sales role 20 years ago, they thought it would take a year for me to understand enough to really be in sales. You were basically, I mean, they didn't call it an apprenticeship, but it was ba like I was shadowing a senior right. sales rep for the first year. This is at IBM. They, they had, you know, this famous sales school. I think they still have it now. Right. You know, and, and, and that's the way they viewed it. They viewed it as a apprenticeship. They viewed it. I mean, they didn't call me an apprentice, but I was, you know, basically an apprentice, right? Like they were like, you don't know anything. We're going to teach you how to do these things. <laughs> follow, follow this guy around. He knows how to do it. Watch, yeah. close, watch closely. And yeah, I mean, it, it, I think part of this was they were willing to make that investment because they had, and, and interesting timing because they had just gotten rid of their pension plan. But before that point, employment for, with them was kind of, you know, they, they hoped it was for life. Like, and right. I think they've changed, they, and certainly everyone else, you know, that now, you know, a two year stay at a company is a long time. But um, I, I think with that change that's occurred over my career, right. This is, this isn't that long ago. This is probably 15, 17, 18 years ago. And uh, the, the, companies have stopped viewing uh, employees as like lifers. Employees have stopped viewing, viewing companies as like, oh, mm -hmm. this is a long-term relationship. This is a long-term employer. And so companies are willing to invest less and they need jobs to be faster. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's, I, I think this has been bad for everyone. It's bad for, you know, the, the, it's better to think more carefully about who you bring on a team. It's better to think more carefully as an employee about where you want to work what kind of company do you want to work for who um, and then make it a longer term relationship. I think both sides uh, on the employment equation get so much more out of it. If you, if you make it a longer term thing. Well, I, it's important for salespeople to have patience. I mean, there's, you know, sort of two junctures in my career. I like to say that, that, you know, step taking a step back is yeah. My generation pioneered the, job hop resume yeah you know, it was it was it was treacherous right as as if you were changing jobs every year and a half two years people looked at you askance right mm -hmm. what's wrong with you but eventually that changed and there were several opportunities in my career but two in particular that sort of stood out where yeah as being recruited i could have jumped um uh, made more money initially at least but I knew it was the best decision to stay because I knew that if I stayed, I'd get opportunities I wouldn't get somewhere else. And is that opportunity to learn and grow that you miss if you job, jump too often. So I think sellers who are, you know, the average tenure, I think in the Valley now for a, an AE is less than a year. Yeah. Based on the stats from Bravado last year. That's why I, I don't hire AEs in the Valley. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that was valley widely, meaning you know tech firms, software firms, but it's very it's very regional. I think 
some like if you're no, I'm in, sure there are differences. Yeah, absolutely. if you're in the if you're in the actual valley, it's it's a real it's a real. There's a lot of hop. There's a lot more hopping than if you're in Kansas City or something. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Also, given what's happened the last three years, the remote work, I think a lot of those dynamics are shifting. And and yeah. So, what do you learn if you're only at a place for a year? I would I would argue you don't learn as nearly as much as you think you did, right? Yeah, you, know, you, you learn the basics. Bill cycle. Yeah, you learn the basics about that company and that product, but you don't you don't get the opportunities to learn. You know, like what I've like. I've I've got people on my uh, on my sales team that have been here for seven eight years. They just know so much more and have gotten so many like leadership opportunities and growth opportunities, and they're kind of first in line for, you know, because you know, you're all, managers are always it's always better to or not always but most of the time. So let's say 70 percent of the time you want to be promoting from within rather than hiring from the outside. So those types of people are always in line for for management right. and growth and. You know, well, but also, I think most importantly, though, Steve, said in my mind is by staying a little bit longer, you understand the customer, right? As I think when you're moving in your sales career from one one position to another, it's not that hey, you've picked up these different selling skills because certainly if you're there less than a year, you haven't done that, but maybe you've been exposed to a different set of customers and a different set of business challenges. You understand business more. You developed your business acumen, mm-hmm. and that's gonna is what helps you develop in your career. It's not the, you know, sort of horizontal skill development. It's it's you know developing greater cognitive capabilities through your experience. Well, that takes time. So I'm not advocating people stay, you know, five, 10 years at one company unless it makes sense for them. But give yourself enough time to actually learn how your customers are using your product to make money and multiple customer experiences that you have and helping customers get to that point, then you'll learn something. You can go take somewhere else and do a good job. Yeah. Not, not saying you can't leave more quickly and make more money. Sure. But at some point that string runs out unless you really know how to perform. Yeah. Well, I, and over time you're worth more to the company and the company is worth more to you. And so that value, the value pie expands and that mm. pie tends to be split. Um, just like meaning that like you're worth more to the company because of everything you know and everything yeah. you you understand about the customer the the product the how how to get things done within this organization right the company itself and i guess in, in sales there is kind of industry and product knowledge like hey this is what i know about like if you're selling lasers to doctors there's understanding the, all the different, like the lasers in the industry. And, and sure, selling any laser would be, you'd be better off than if you switched to selling right. shoulder joints or some another medical device, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so switching to another laser company, only some stuff is lost, but switching from, you know, this type of laser to dental lasers, now you're selling a dentist, it's totally different than selling a doctor. So now you've lost something else. So as long, so it's like, it's like, there's these different, there's understanding the customer that you, that you're selling, there's understanding this, like these product lines, and there's understanding the company that you're mm-hmm. at. And if, if you've been at the same place for a while, the, the more of those things you change and the more frequently, the worse off you are. But the more you're within those places and obviously keeping all three of them because you're at the same company for a long time, there's just, you become a deeper and deeper expert on all three of those things. Right. And now you're soon, you're, you should be worth more to that company if it's a good company. Um, 
you're worth more to them than you're worth to anyone else because because of the this domain knowledge. So like maybe you'd also be very you'd be worth a lot to one of their direct competitors, but like to the shoulder company, the shoulder joint company, you're not worth really any more than Pete off the street, right? Another you know because yeah. but. Yeah. It, your experience all in the laser industry, though, and specifically at this company, you're worth a ton to this company, and so they, they should pay you more. That's why you give raises to everybody every year, right? And they they're worth more, and they and so that that value pie should be split if if it's a good company, I think. And that's a that's a I think the longer you're at a place, that 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 should in theory just keep keep going and going, right? There's not there's and and I guess when I the first couple of companies that I worked at. Allstate Insurance and IBM both viewed employment as for you know for someone's they, yeah. they, they hoped that you would spend your whole career there. And I, I knew a lot of people at both of those places who you know retired with a gold watch and a pension plan, right? And um, that's a that's I think that's one of the biggest changes to uh, the business world of our time is is that we've we the way we 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 view both employees view jobs and jobs view, view employees is much more fungible. Yeah. Yeah, the 401k started, or the IRA started pretty early in my career. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I never, never worked for a company that had a pension plan. Um, yeah, I think it, it died right around when you were starting, and I, I was 10 years behind you, so there were still a few companies that still had it, but they even those companies were shooting it in the head by the time I was getting around. Yeah. Well, and that's, and so you can't blame, I'm not blaming people for changing, especially yeah, you know, in the tech world, because in the startup world, where you know it's a way to help build wealth for your family and you know build a future and so on. Mm -hmm. But it's you know if you're jumping jobs every twelve to eighteen months, first of all, you're not investing in a ton of equity, uh, but you're also not investing in yourself though, and that's that's really the critical part. Is is at some point, as I said before, the string runs out where people see, well, okay. Hey, Steve, you've been at four or five different companies, but what have you learned? What, what can you bring to the table? And it starts becoming clear that, yeah, you don't have anything because you've never progressed beyond a certain level because you never stayed anywhere. You never got to the point where you got promoted to handle the bigger accounts and more complex accounts and so on. Right. You're, so still, just, you're still junior, even though you've been junior at five places, but yeah, you, you only know how to be junior. Whereas if you'd stay, if you'd been at one company that whole time now you're senior and you know yeah. how to be senior and it might just right. be at that company in that industry but uh, well that's why i think it's just it's there's not a, a blanket statement made saying hey don't change for new opportunities the right. key is just make sure that when you change is that you actually got out of it what you thought you were going to get from it right yeah. did you think hey i'm going to work for a really smart person they're going to you know, be a mentor to me and I'm going to have experienced certain growth, be able to handle, I said, certain size, different size accounts or different you know, vertical markets or whatever. Make sure you get that before you leave. Make sure you're good at it if possible before you go. Again, never going to be 100% in terms of choosing the environments you go to. I had one instance in my career where, yeah, joined a company I knew within 24 hours it was wrong. <laughs> uh, yeah, took me about six months to extricate myself. I probably should have done it faster. Right. Um, and I regret having spent all that time knowing it was just a bad situation. So just be honest with yourself. Be pragmatic about the whole thing because it is your career. No one cares about it as much as you do. No one cares about your success as much as you do. So you have to take responsibility for some of these decisions.
Yeah. The the good news is there's lots of there's lots more information available now than there was before. It's easier to like backdoor reference check both employees and right. as an employee applying somewhere, backdoor reference check a company like you know yeah, talk Glassdoor or RepView or one of those companies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's worth doing the homework and, and thinking carefully yeah. about something because you know and and looking hard at your own situation and and, being, and asking yourself you know is is this optimal? Uh, it's it's a it's a it's a it's a people bounce around for the wrong reasons i think sometimes and then they don't bounce around they don't bounce around enough for the wrong reason for <laughs> <laughs> well yeah i mean that's that's true some you can make the analogy with hiring and firing people you know say hire slow fire fast yeah, yeah. sure i agree with that in general um maybe not as much with the fire fast i think you gotta give people a chance to succeed. You gotta make sure you've given them an opportunity. You've given them the environment to succeed that you promised them during the interview process, which oftentimes isn't the case. But if yeah, if there's an obvious mistake you've made, then take care of the mistake. And the same thing is true if you're joining a company and you think, hey, 24 hours later you made a mistake and it's not the right spot. Oftentimes you're better just going back out on the market, finding a new job. Yeah. Well, let's let's keep our focus on your book here because uh, oh, okay. I want to keep picking your picking your brain and all the wisdom contained within it. Within it, okay, yes. <laughs> I could, uh, there was a I, I could chat with you all day about all all this stuff. So, the, what a chapter of the book is called? Yes. There's one question every yes. buyer will ask you. That yes. So, talk to me about this chapter and. Talk to me about trust and how it makes a difference in the, in the sales process. Sure. Yeah, so that chapter is, um, I put off with a story about my own, my own experience with this, but yeah, in short is, is every customer is making a decision about you. Are you worth their time and attention? Are you worth them investing and building, you know, credibility and trust with them? And I, I boiled down to a sort of why you, right? Why should I, why should I trust you? Why should I buy from you? Why should I work with you? Why should I take your advice? And, but it's all basically the same questions. It's why you, and they're not talking about why you, the company, they're talking about why you personally. And every customer asks, they don't come out usually and say, why you? Uh, but they're asking it nonetheless. And it's not a, not a question that you can answer verbally, even if they did answer it, it's, it's they have to experience you, right? So are you showing up prepared? Are you making a good, strong first impression? Are you more interested in them than in yourself? You know, are you leading with questions? Have you been, you know, done your preparation for the call? All these series of little things that enable you to start building this connection with this other human being that you hope will lead to them trusting you and by trusting you, enabling you to ask the type of questions you need to ask to really understand what their challenges are and how you can help them. And, you know, salespeople sort of have this mistaken belief that they just show up and ask a question, they're going to get an answer. And it's not the way humans work, right? Is is we just don't give information out to everybody. We are sort of guarded. Um, we make decisions about whether this person is you know, worth our time or not. We do it both on a personal and professional level all the time. So this, this 
question, why you? It's just a start at the beginning of every transaction. There are transformation efforts you're involved with. The buyer is they're making a judgment about you. And to say in the book, it's personal. And it's not personal as in you're a good person or a bad person. It's just it's personal. Is this someone I want to spend my time with? And what advice would you give to someone who looks at their book of business, looks at their territory, and is like, yeah, I, I hear you, Andy. Trust is super important. Everybody's asking me, do I trust you? How do I, how can I uh, get them to trust me more? How can I be more authentic? How can I, what are things that I can do from a tactical perspective that will, that will improve me here? Sure. Well, the first thing is, I talked about before, is just be more interested in the buyer than you are in yourself. And that's the sort of definition of selling out as you're putting your own interests in front of those, in front of those of the buyers. So when you show up and you're talking with someone is, again, have you done your preparation? Are you demonstrating an interest, sincere interest in them, both as a potential buyer and as a human being? You know, you looked at their LinkedIn profile or maybe you'd done a quick Google search for them. You just, you know, look, see if you'd find them on Facebook or Instagram. Just spend a couple of minutes doing these things and you find you might identify someplace where it's sort of common ground that you have a conversation about that just starts this idea of building this connection because the connection becomes important as I mentioned before is because this is, this is how trust starts being built, right? Is if you show up, you're asking questions, I talk about in the book is, you know, a, a drill you can use as an individual to train yourself in showing up, being prepared to ask questions is what I call the ask five rule, which is, can you ask somebody five questions about them before you have to say anything about yourself? And one way to practice this, one way to practice this is in a social setting, right? You're at a party somewhere, you meet somebody you don't know before. Can you be interested in that person enough to ask five questions in them before you have to say something about yourself? And it's, it's, A, it's kind of fun to practice it, but B, it starts developing this muscle that when you show up and you meet somebody new, that your first instinct is to say, well, hmm, what are they interested in? And find that out first. Because as a human being, let alone a salesperson, uh, been research done on this is the way you make yourself interesting to other people is to be interested in them, right? And just start there. You know, it's, it's, it's basic human skill. And I, I like to, I know this freaks people out when I, when I talk about it this way, but because like I say, I'm, I'm going to use the F word, which is as a salesperson, in your personal life, do you know how to make a friend? You know, this first meeting, first contact you have with a buyer, it's the same motion, right? If you meet somebody at a social situation, maybe at a, a kid's birthday party, right? And you're meeting a parent you never met before. Maybe it's uh, another dad. And yeah, there's a sense, yeah. Hey, seems like an interesting person. You ask some, what do you do? You ask questions. You want to find out about them. Or, yeah, alternatively, do you show up at that party and 
just talk about yourself and your work and what they could do for you to help you. No, you, you, everybody knows how to make a friend. So just show up and ask a question. Be interested in them. That's, it's the same thing you're doing in sales. It's just these initial moments. What, you know, some people call it small talk. But there's this body of research that exists that says small talk is hugely important in building a connection with another human being. So we think, uh, we'll get sales trainers out there say, oh, buyers don't have time for that. They are not interested in that. It's like, yeah, it's just BS. They're humans. That's how humans connect. That's how humans put themselves in the right position. I want to have a further conversation with you. Absolutely. So be prepared. Create good, strong first impressions. Uh, that's it. Do your research. And show up and ask questions of them. Be prepared to ask questions of the other person instead of talking about yourself. Very simple. Well, and and, and that's also important. And, all, and also the, the information that you're collecting on the Discover call. And everyone's collecting information in these situations. And um, you, you talk about going deeper and gaining true understanding of of mm -hmm. the prospect uh, based on this information that you've, you've you've collected in your discovery process early in this relationship building qualification type uh you know first meeting type setting um what what uh what are your thoughts and what what are you advocating people sales reps do with uh to go deeper with this information they've collected uh, during their discovery call, uh, what do you advocate they do before they kind of press ahead to the next steps? Yeah, well, several things. One, yes, there's, when you think about discovery, is discovery is typically treated like a survey, most sellers, right? These are questions we ask. We're going to ask these questions. And so you've gathered this information, but what do you really understand about the buyer? And the answer is, you don't. And so the job really in the course of discovery is really trying to understand what I call the one, the one thing, the most important thing is everybody has a most important thing that they're trying to solve. Doesn't mean there's not, doesn't mean there's only one problem, but there's one that's always more important than all the others. And it's your job as a seller to uncover that. So the keys to uncovering that are a starting to build this connection that's based on trust that gives you they're giving you permission basically to dig you stick your nose into their business as i talk about in the book which is what you want and you're earning the right to get the answer to those questions so that's that's the starting point the book i talk about six different types of questions to use to dig down deep and you know just an example of one is what i call an, an impact question i'm a huge believer that as often as possible you want to frame questions to the buyer in a way that that causes them to have to quantify an impact of making a change or not making a change. And so that's just one way. And you just string these questions together is you're forcing the the buyer to think of things in real, real terms, right? This is what the impact could be on me personally, what's gonna be on the team that I manage, what's gonna be on the organization. As you look at that at multiple levels. And you just keep keep using, you know, it could be one of six types of questions, but I said this is just an example, an, in, an impact question. 
Also strong follow-up questions is too often sellers just sort of accept answers at face value. Why? I mean, buyers have motivations for why they say things in certain ways. They're human beings, they have motivations. So your job is to continually sort of press a little bit and ask maybe the question from a different perspective or ask for getting more details. So you all send discovery calls and sellers will ask a question and the buyer will give an answer and the seller will sort of pause for a second. And you can tell they're making a note of the answer and they're scanning down to the next question. It's like, no, ask a good follow-up question. The buyer wants you to go deeper. They want to talk about things that are important to them. So simple follow-up questions like, oh, that's interesting. And what else can you tell me about that? Wow. So I said, oh, they, they care. They want to know more about that. Well, let's, let's go deeper. Maybe you ask that, and what can you tell me? What else can you tell me about that a second time or a third time? You can string them together. Is you want to give the buyer the opportunity to talk about things that I said are important to them. And you give them encouragement. You mix in questions like I said, impact questions or you know, trade-off questions, which you know, have the customer sort of make a trade-off choice. You know, you don't want to do ABC or XYZ. What would the impact be for that? Interesting. Yeah, what else can you tell me about that? So you take these question types and you just start stringing them together and you get to a point where the you'll recognize and the buyer will sort of recognize that, yeah, we've reached sort of the logical, logical end. This is the thing. This is the thing. And then I talk about in the book is you got one more question to ask at that point is once you think you've really identified what are the real key challenge for the buyer, key outcome they want to achieve. You reflect back to them what you've heard, your understanding, you get the buyer to nod and say, yes, you've got it. That's exactly what we talked about. And they say, great, well, I've got one more question for you. What are we missing? Right? Just when you think you got all wrapped up and tied up with a bow, what are we missing? It's a very powerful question to ask because it forces everybody to sit back and think again. Yeah, is there something we overlooked? Was there something we thought we really... Maybe we thought it was really important to bring in that this conversation that we didn't bring up. And perfect way to sort of, again, start tying things up after you do that. So then you go back through the process you did before. And yeah, you've identified the thing that's most important to them. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And what a, it's a great little, it, it, it's a great waterfall through things, right? I mean, understanding the most important thing and, and then getting them to, to actually quantify that with the impact question uh, and, then, and then follow it up to, to make sure they, they've rethunk it. I, I think that's, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Rethunk, is that even a word? It is now. It is, I, let's patent that. Yes, <laughs> you can. Well, that, that's, that's super cool. Um, and this is all addressed in the book. It is all addressed <laughs> in the book. So yeah, encourage people to check out the book, Sell yeah. Out, Selling Out on Amazon or wherever you buy books. I love it. And, uh, and, and this, I guess that's one thing when I've, when I've looked at you with at a lot of the stuff you've done, a lot of it's very, it's, it's truly usable by sales reps. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, uh, it's not theory. It's, uh, it's able to be put in practice. It's tactical which which is uh, i think what we yeah. need more of in this world yeah well thank you i i yeah i'll give a little theory in the book but it's yeah it's, i try to i've spent uh, the last nine years now 12 years uh since i started writing books and so on 
just trying to simplify things, right? Reduce the complexity, uh, just make things eminently practical for salespeople. And yeah, they'll find a ton of this in this book. And it's not a big book, but it's, yeah, for me, one of the great things about it has been with the feedback received is how many people have read it multiple times. And that's, that's what, you know, for me is most gratifying. Well, I, I think you have to actually get it into practice, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, your, your concept of impact questions, I, I didn't, I've never called it that. Um, I've kind of, but I, that, that's something that I've, I've uh, recommended my, my reps to a million times, right? It's, mm-hmm. I'm always, I'm always saying, well, I ask, ask them what it would be worth them to get two more meetings a day from all, each one of their field sales reps. Because if you're talking to a VP of sales, you know, at, well, it's, what's it worth if, if every one of your field sales reps, because they're more organized and focused on the right customers and had a route building and a mapping software, they were getting two more meetings a day. What would, what would that be worth in terms of revenue? And how many, how many more sales would you get? Yeah. yeah, I would say, yeah, what would the impact be in terms of increased revenue? The value of that is is when you cause your prospect, your buyer to, to stop and think is they start visualizing in their mind. Oh, what would it be like to have, you know, increased revenue by 5%? What would that mean for me? What would that mean for the team? You know, what, and it starts making it more real. And so not only are you getting a, a better answer that, that's uh, more useful, but you're also helping the buyers that put themselves into the picture about what it'd be like to use your product or service. And that's just hugely important. And, and it really helps them compare. It helps them, I think, uh, rank the, the decision on whether we do this or not. Because so, so many ideas are, are there's a lot of initiatives, right? I mean, I've, mm-hmm. got, I've got 300 initiatives and things that I know I should be doing, but it's like, which, which are the 15 I'm going to get done this year? You know, yeah. like, it, cause it, it, and you can only have so many. Right. And, and so the, I think a lot of this is about getting, getting yourself to a, a situation where, uh, where we're, we're getting your product to be one of those top five things to that, that actually get done. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so if salespeople are feeling too bogged down in their strategies, their pitches, and they, they, they're not feeling authentic, um, how, how can focusing on being more buyer-centric and, and the strategy you're talking about, how, how, can, that, how can that help them? How do you, how do you think how do you envision kind of the following of the philosophies that you're proposing in this book? What do you think the results are going to be in terms of impact statements? <laughs> paint, well, yeah. Well, paint I, the vision for me. Sure. So we talked about this in the last chapter of the book is um, the way most people, not necessarily specific buyers, but most people make decisions. And this has been, studied and written about by Nobel Prize winner, prize winner Herbert Simon. Uh, he's called his theory of bounded rationality. He said, look, when people make decisions, when we make decisions, we have three constraints, every decision we make. We don't have unlimited time to make the decision. We don't have unlimited access to information to make the decision. We don't have unlimited, we'll call it understanding of the information that we gather. So what people do is they 
research solutions, potential outcomes to a, to a problem until they find one that meets two criteria. One is it satisfies their basic requirements and two is it suffices to enable them to hit their desired outcomes. And when people do that, they make a decision and that's called the good enough decision. This is what most people make. Now, Simon called it satisficing. You can join the two words satisfy and suffice. That's what people do. They sat, they satisfice. So what I lay out in the book is these milestones that you can achieve that help move the buyer more quickly toward this satisficing decision, this good enough decision. And so it's, you know, the first buyer seller to connect, the first seller to build trust, the first seller to understand the most important thing, the first seller to create a vision of success with that most important thing, really co-create this vision of success with the buyer of what success will look like using your product and service. And there was some research by Forrester a decade or so ago about, hey, if you are the first seller to get the buyer to buy into your vision of success, they're gonna, that's like a 65% chance of winning the deal. Well, that's pretty significant, right? And they were talking about a satisfied decision. So there are customers that aren't satisficers. They are what Simon called maximizers. They will look at every potential option to satisfy themselves that they've making the absolute best choice. That's like everything, you know, a range of people. Uh, you know, some are satisficers, some are maximizers. Most people you're finding will be satisficers. So you job really is if you can use what I talk about in the book, the selling in is, yeah, if you can be the first to connect, you can be the first to establish this trust. You can be the first to make the buyer feel understood that you really understand their most important thing. The first to help the buyer envision what success will look like. Yeah, you can do two things. One is you'll probably end up shortening decision cycles a little bit. And two is you'll increase your win rate. And that's what it's all about in the end. Let's, let's win a higher fraction of our opportunities. Fantastic advice. Well, the next section of the, of the show today is sales in 60 seconds. Oh, so good. Okay. Let's do it. Quick, quick questions, quick answers. Sure. So how can salespeople quickly establish rapport with their prospects? Lead off with questions. Do your research, lead off with questions, find areas of common ground. And what's the most common mistake you see salespeople making today? Pitching before they understand. With all the new tech tools on the market today, mm. do you think that sales salespeople have gotten better at their jobs because of all of them? Or are we, are we over-processizing things at this point? <laughs> Sadly, I think we've actually gotten worse. And it doesn't need to be that way. Um, it's just we're not using the technology the right way. Yeah, I agree. And there, there's, and I, and I wouldn't just blame the tech tools for this. I think there's a lot of changes in oh. the market. But, oh yeah, uh, but there's it, a lot of people involved with this whole thing. Yes, managers, leaders, technology. Yes, and I guess it is ultimately tech putting a lot of. There's a lot of information on the market today that people don't. So people don't talk to a salesperson until much later in the sales cycle. But a lot of that information is actually bogus garbage. It is. <laughs> That's a, a big challenge. Yeah, don't 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 get us started on that because yeah, I don't. I, I wish I had more time today. We could talk about that, but yeah, that's not. <laughs> I agree with you. 
what what daily habits will lead to uh, salespeople being more successful? Read 10 to 15 minutes every day. What's the best sales advice you've ever heard on uh, on your podcast? Other than, of course, the times that I was on your podcast, because that wouldn't be fair. <laughs> uh, gosh, yeah, I don't know about that one. Um... You stumped me. I don't know. After 1,100 episodes, I, I'm not sure I could pick one out. It's a, well, let's just assume it's something that I said then. It's something Steve said, yes. <laughs> um, so, I, I, you know, one of my go-to answers for that question, because people always ask me that too, which is why I ask it sometimes on the on the, on the podcast, is uh, I, I point to Joanne Black, who mm-hmm. just dominates she, I mean, referral selling. Like she's yes. like four books about referral selling. And, right. And, uh, and if, if you learn anything from Joanne, it's that referral selling really important for everyone. No one thinks yes. about it enough. No one has a process for it. No one measures it. No one thinks about it enough, but it's, it's like your best leads come from referrals. So absolutely. Absolutely. That, so there, there, there's a go. There, I'm sure she was on your podcast. So you can just take that answer. It's fine. I've had, I've had, <laughs> I've had Joanne a couple of times. Yes. There you go. Uh, well, actually we'll take away. How can the salespeople listening today avoid selling out and form better connections with their customers? Um, just put the buyer first. It's about them, right? I mean, it's, it's hard as a seller because you want to pitch your product, you want to sell your product and so on. But you just have to, you have to build that level of trust to be given the permission to influence the choices and trader trade-offs that buyers make. And that's, think about that context, right? Is in order to have an influence on the choices my buyer makes, I, they have some level of trust in me. Well, how do I develop that? Well, it starts with just being a good human being. How do I connect with them? How do I build some basic level of rapport? I'm not trying to become their friend. I'm just, we're just humans connecting. And when you accomplish that, and you learn that it comes from showing up prepared, asking good introduction questions, um, taking you know a little risk occasionally, be a little vulnerable with some of the questions. Then yeah, it becomes a lot easier, and you start having more fun. Fantastic advice. Well, I mean, Andy, you do so much in the world of sales. I mean, you you're a a top speaker. You've got three best selling books. Um, you know. 1100 episodes in your podcast you do a ton of coaching and training mm-hmm. what for people that want to engage more deeply with you sure. where can they where can our listeners read more f- from you how do they get to know you better how do they how right. do they reach out to you how do they engage with you yeah the best way is on linkedin message me on linkedin connect with me on linkedin um usual preamble on linkedin real andy paul but if you just search andy paul you'll i think i'm the first one that comes up um, I mean, like 200,000 people or so follow you. So probably the first one that comes up. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so just, yeah, connect with me on LinkedIn. You can send me an email at andy at andypaul.com. That's fine too. Um, visit my website, andypaul.com. You can download a free chapter of the book. Uh, but yeah, if you have questions or you're interested in, you know, have further discussion about how I can help your team. Yeah, either LinkedIn or email and, and we'll start a conversation. All right. Well, I'm going to try to summarize uh, everything that you've taught us today here, Andy. Um, So first, be yourself when interacting with prospects. Authenticity 
builds trust with buyers. Buyers make decisions based on their experiences with sellers. Be vocal if you're being told to sell in a way that doesn't align with the way you are. If you're not heard, consider if you should switch selling environments. Learn to trust your own gut instead of blindly following sales scripts or processes. See where you can give input based on your experience. Don't be afraid to experiment and try new things when you're selling. Consider staying at good companies longer for growth opportunities that can help you develop your career. Every customer asks themselves, why you? Why should I trust you? Why should I work with you? Why now? Show the buyer that they can trust you by making sure you're prepared to, well, that you show up prepared. Make sure that you, when you, when you start your interaction with them, that you know the background, you know what's going on, you know the situation. Show them that you're more interested in them than you are about yourself and what you're selling. Ask your buyers five questions about them before you say something about yourself or your product. Get to know them. Use the discovery stage to find out the most important thing your buyer is trying to solve. Use impact questions to frame questions in a way that causes buyers to think uh, in a way that quantifies what they're experiencing or what they want. Don't forget to ask great follow-up questions. Say, that's interesting. What else can you tell me about that? At the end of your discovery conversations, ask, what are we missing? And that'll get the, the prospect to step back and, and, and think about, you know, what 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 else what all's come out and, and see if there's anything else they'd like to talk about. And that that really can be a great question to make sure nothing's being left out. Get buyers to buy into your vision of success in order to increase your win rate. Um, awesome. Well, this has been a great episode of the Outside Sales Talk. I really appreciate you coming, Thanks coming for on me. and chatting about your book and giving, dropping some wisdom on, on all of us here. Uh, if anyone out there who's listening is in field sales, you'll love Badger Maps. Number one route planner helps you sell 12, 20% more and drive 20% less. And you can get a free trial at badgermapping.com today. If anyone can think of other sales reps that would benefit from learning about what Andy's taught us today, definitely share the love and forward this episode on to them. Uh, Andy, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks, Steve. Here. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good to see Take you. Take care, everybody.